following radio programs are original broadcasts. While enhancements have been made to the audio for clarity and listener enjoyment, no other edits or modifications have been made. The listener may hear advertisements and notices for tobacco products, alcohol, food, and or services that may no longer be available, nor are they endorsed by whose blind life is it anyway. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everybody, this is Pepsi Mama, and I'm coming to you with another episode of the Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday, like Ice Cream Sunday. However, you can call it whatever kind of Sunday you want. If you if you just want it to be a relaxing afternoon Sunday where you just have a snack or don't have a snack or uh, whatever, then it's your Sunday. But for my purposes, uh, when I did the show, I thought it would be fun to have um, an imaginary Sunday. And a lot of days, a lot of the times I do have one and then I put the strawberry and whipped cream on top. I mean, I, I, I come up with, I tell you what I'm mixing together, but today I'm not doing anything except I'm, I'll just put s- strawberry ice cream and have the strawberry and whipped cream on top of my ice cream. And, um, Part of that is because, folks, I and I hope you'll forgive the frogginess in my throat. Um, I'm sucking on a cough drop right now. And um, you can probably hear it back in my jaw, and I apologize for that. I, my throat just seems to have a lot of congestion. And I get this way ever since I had COVID. So, um, but I'm over the COVID. It's just this, um, congestion just wants to bother me. So, uh, just hope y'all will bear with me. But enough of that nonsense. If you like what you hear, um, or if you don't like what you hear, <laughs> you can, but we hope that you will. You can follow us, and like us, and subscribe to us on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. Facebook and YouTube, it's, um, Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway? And on Twitter, it's at blind who's b l i n d w h o s e and um i haven't been on twitter for a while because i've had some nerve problems with my fingers my hands and so I'll be glad when I get to go back on Twitter, but if you, if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, it's, Monty, it's at Monty60, that's M-O-N-N-I-6-0, but, um, be sure and follow our channel, I mean our pod, our program, at Blind Who's. 
Um, if you want to write to me with suggestions or comments or uh, requests or what have you, just uh, write to me at Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday, like an ice cream Sunday, S-U-N-D-A-E, at gmail.com. That's Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday at gmail.com. Um, if you want to write to Victor, he's always in the background here and um, doing all the techie stuff. <clears throat> and um, if you want to write to him, it's just whose blind life is it anyway at gmail.com. And that whose blind life is it anyway is just one big long word. <laughs> What I've done for you today, uh, somebody a few weeks ago had requested some Green Hornet. And at the time I wasn't able to get but just one because of the website I was dealing with, but I, it's conquered now. And so, <clears throat> I got several but today I'm only doing three and that's to keep my uh, that's to keep my show from being way too long um, so to, and then uh, and then I'll be doing um, a show called You Bet Your Life for the Strawberry so um, and then I'll add these other green hornets that I got in from time to time Make them strawberries or something. But the first one that I'm going to do for you, it's called the Robertson Gas Racket. side of those tank cars. It's a string of Robertson's gas tankers. It isn't fast. No, it's a slow freight, Kato. Dim the lights on the black beauty. Yes, sir. There's enough light to guide us along the road with the snow showing the way. I want you to trail that freight. Oh. I haven't explained before. There's not much time now, but I'll let you in on a little. Robertson is a big gasoline dealer. He's underselling everyone else in the state. Runs his own gas station. There have been a lot of rumors that he's working a racket. So far, no one can put a finger on how he does it. And that's why the Green Hornet's out tonight. I see. Everything else has been covered. I have a feeling those tank cars hold the secret. You got it? Yes, sir. Okay, let's go. Get the Black Beauty going. We're going to tail that freight and see what we can learn. Sure is rattling this trip. A lot of empties always make a lot of noise. Sure is cool, though. Hey, close that door. 
Hard enough to keep this caboose hot without you leaving that door wide open, Max. Yeah? Listen, Dutch, if you're so concerned, maybe you ought to take over my job. <laughs> Me go climbing over a lot of empties? Nuts. I'll stick in here where it's moving. Yeah, you would. Got any kicks? Ah, not me. My job's being brakeman. Say, Dutch. Yeah? What's the idea of you riding along every time we haul a string of Robertson's tank cars? I work for Robertson, don't I? What's he afraid of? Somebody gonna swipe his gasoline? Besides, these here cars is empty. There ain't no gasoline in them. Robertson don't like nobody tampering with his property, see? Okay, okay. Only who's going to look at the empties? I tell you... Ah, button your left, will you? You ain't a sociable guy, are you? You think it's a picnic trotting over them cars, checking up like I got to do? <laughs> That's your headache. This kind of weather. Huh. Any bum that hops a ride in the brake jeans nights like this is bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You rattle worse than these empties. Sure they rattle. That's because they're so light. Makes them bounce around. As long as they stay on the rails, that's all. What a nice ice in the steel. Switches froze. What's the matter? Huh? That's the first time you shut up since we started. I've been watching that car. Car? Where? Been selling. It's on the state road. See it? No, I... Oh, yeah. Sort of dark. Say, that's a big baby. Dreamlined, huh? Not many cars out on a night like this. Why is he going so slow? A car like that could step away from a freight on two cylinders. Search me. There he goes into the underpass. Yeah, we're taking a curve now. Hey, uh, hey what the... Something's wrong with the main What happened? Wait! The brakes are on already! Look out! The boots are slipping! The drive's slipping! Phew. Are you okay? Yeah. Boy, she almost left the rails that time. Come on, let's get outside and take a look. Watch out for that stove. Gone over, we'd be in a nice jam. Hey, look, the train's off the track. Must have been that switch back away. It must have froze. There's a couple of tank cars turned over. Yeah, lucky there wasn't full of gas. Yeah. Lend me a hand, will you? we got to put out some flares back away so the special don't climb all over our rear end. Not me. I don't wait for the railroad. Why, you lie? My here. job's to watch Robertson tank cars, that's all. And... Hey, look at that. Huh? Those two guys down there, Max, they're looking at the tank car. Hey, you! Let me three Come man. on! Stop! Hold on there! They're running toward the road. Max, there's that car. They're getting away. Step on it. Stop or I'll let you have it! There they go! Just look out! I'm teaching them! Going too fast. Did you get a good look at that job? Going like a streak of lightning. That was the car of the Green Hornet. Huh? There, you hear that horn? Watch your right. The Green Hornet. And he was looking at them tank cars. Wait till this gets out. The Green Hornet reckoned the slow freight. Hey, Gunnigan. Gunnigan. Go away, Lowry. I'm up to my ears. Yeah, well, get a load of this. If it's none of those screwy human interest yarns of yours, I'm not interested. This is big, Gunnigan. Came off the wire. Shut up. Five minutes of deadline and you can... Hello. Yeah, Gunnigan talking. Right. Put that snap of the center in big on page one. Okay, that's the work. You can shoot page one down. It's all closed. Page one isn't closed, Gunnigan. Oh, <laughs> I suppose you're the editor of the Daily Sentinel. And the sarcasm. Will you pop your eyes at this? Okay, okay. Anything for a rest. Give me. Just came in over the wire service from upstate. Slow freight has accident. So what? Read the last line, Chief. It is believed that the Green Hornet has something to... 
The Green Hornet. That's the Flash, Chief. The Green Hornet was seen there. Well, there's not much news yet, but we'll be able we'll to... We'll get it. Get a follow-up. Check with the railroad. Okay. Now, this is news. Come on, come on. Hello. Makeup. Gunnigan. Full page one. Yeah, I said hold it. We can slip in the box. The Green Hornet's believed to have caused a railroad crash. More coming. The boss around Gunnigan, he ought to know. Reed, this time of night? Don't be silly, Lowry. Uh, that's right. He's probably out night clubbing. Wherever he is, he'll learn about this soon enough. Now get busy. I want a complete story in the late edition. Or else Reed will start asking questions when he gets here in the morning. I thought it was Mr. Reed. Uh, he's not in yet, Casey. He'll do any minute. He phoned he was on his way. Did he uh, say anything about that Green Hornet yarn? Not a thing. No. Well, you sound disappointed. Well, after the way I scrambled around last night trying to get more dope on I it. suppose you want to be knighted. Okay, okay, skip it. Besides, I've been reading the Sentinel. Well? You got out there too late to do much asking. Yeah, yeah, the car's all back on the rails. Well, I'm glad no one was hurt, Lowry. Well, it wasn't much of an accident, Casey. The only thing that makes it important was that the Green Hornet was seen there. How certain are those men that it was the Hornet? Casey, they saw him. They saw his car. Well, it seems inconceivable that the Hornet would deliberately wreck a train. Don't ask me why, but he did. Are you sure? Well, there's nothing to show what caused it. But you know the Hornet. Wrecking a train is just the sort of thing that guy would do. Well, we don't agree on that, Lowry. Hey, you're not sticking up for him. But good grief, what reason would he have? For a guy like the Hornet, you don't need reasons, Casey. If he acted reasonably, the police would have nabbed him long ago. You think so, Larry? Uh, oh, boss, I didn't hear you come in. You were pretty busy with your discussion. Mr. Reed, do you believe the Hornet did this? Well, why ask me, Miss Case? Well, uh, well, after all, you've made a study of the Hornet and the way he acts. <laughs> you were doing all right upholding his case yourself. Then you agree with me? Yeah, perhaps train wrecking is out of the Hornet's line, Miss Case. But he was there, boss. You can't get around that. Larry, uh, what was that train composed of? Huh? Well, I read the Sentinel on the way down this morning. That train was a string of Robertson's private tank cars, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Was there, uh, much damage? Oh, I didn't get a chance to see. There was some guy there that kept the spectators away. Even a reporter? Yeah, a guy named Dutch. He wasn't with the railroad, said he worked for Robertson. So you didn't see the tank cars? Well, not up close. Why, Mr. Reed, is anything wrong? Oh, just checking, Miss Kate. But, Lowry, you've heard the rumors about Robertson's gasoline company? Hmm, I know he sells for half what the regular company's charge. Is that all? Oh, Mr. Reed, you mean the rumors that Robertson's working a racket in gasoline? Exactly, Miss Case. Yeah, I heard those too. But where's the racket come in? Just because the guy undersells. Well, isn't it odd that you couldn't get a look at those tank cars last night? Huh? Hey, Casey, where's Reed? Are you looking for me, Gunnigan? Oh, I didn't spot you right away, Reed. Robertson's in the clear. Robertson? In the clear about what? We were talking about his train wreck. No, no, Casey, this is something else. You see, Robertson's underselling all the other gas. Yeah, but he claims that's because he eliminates the middleman. Buys his own gasoline, uses his own tank cars, and sells from his own gas station. Cuts down the overhead. That's his claim. And it looks like he's right. Hold it a minute, Gunnigan. Now? As I get it, the other gas dealers claim there was something phony about Robertson's ability to sell at rock-bottom prices. Prices the competition can't even touch. Now you say the investigation has gotten nowhere? Yeah, dead end, Reed. How about the octane content of Robertson's gas? It's up to the standard specifications, Reed. All the way. Been inspected? Checked and double-checked. If Robertson's pulling a racket on the public, it can't be proved. Boss, he must be selling inferior gas. It's the only answer. Unless he's losing money. He's not losing money. He made plenty last year. Oh, hold on. Well, Miss Case? What's this got to do with the Green Hornet? Holy mackerel, that's right. 
Those were Robertson's tank cars, and the Hornet was there. What's the answer? Perhaps more than we think. Lowell, well, you have an assignment. Drop in on Robertson tonight. Yeah, boss? I have a feeling that Robertson knows the answer. Now, you may not get the answers, but you certainly can ask the question and make them strong. That evening in Britt Reed's apartment, the publisher spoke to Cato, his valet, and the only living man to know him as the Green Hornet. I heard today that the Robertson investigation proved nothing, Cato. Gunnigan thought it was news, but I'd learned that the day before. Yes, it's right. Robertson must have tossed around plenty of money to get a whitewash. That's why we went out last night in the Black Beauty. After the train? I wanted to check those tank cars. They were made in a factory owned by Robertson. And that accident gave us a chance to look them over, and we found what we were looking for. That is true. That wreck was purely accidental. Because the Black Beauty was seen there, the Hornet gets the blame. And that means we've got to go ahead as the Green Hornet to expose Robertson's racket. Yes, sir. Is the Black Beauty all ready to travel? The car's ready. We had a long drive last night. From now on, we'll be operating right here in the city. We're going out? No, we're not going out. Not just yet. I had Gunnigan send Lowry out on an assignment. He's to drop in on Robertson this evening. Yes? I want to make sure a note gets there when Lowry's around to see it. I don't understand, Mr. Red. Open that package, that one on the table. Yes, sir. It's writing paper. I had it purchased in such a way that it can never be traced to me. Careful how you handle it. You got to avoid fingerprints. Yes, sir. There it is. Yeah, right, I'll write the note. You're to go out in the Black Beauty. You wait near Robertson's place till you see Lowry. Yes. And get the note in so that Lowry can't miss it. On the way there, you can dispose of this plan as well. There. Hand me an envelope. You take a look, Cato. Have I disguised the handwriting well enough? It's good, Mr. Best. Fine. Now, once you deliver this note, come back here in the Black Beauty. Make sure Lowry hears the card. You understand? I do so. Meanwhile, I'll be making preparations for a final move. And Cato. Yes, sir? Be careful as you drive through the streets. The newspapers are full of stories about the Green Hornet after we were spotted at that train wreck. Before the next exciting scenes of our adventure, please permit us to pause for a meeting of the Law and Order Roundtable, conducted by the Green Hornet. Good evening, friends. If you are between the ages of 15 and 21, please stop, think, and listen, because this message is intended especially for you. Undoubtedly, most of you are preparing yourselves now for the job of tomorrow. That's great. Keep up the good work. But along with preparing yourself for your chosen trade or profession, don't neglect to groom yourself for the job of good citizenship as well. Young Americans, America's hope for the future is in your hands. And that's why it's vitally important that you be well equipped to practice good citizenship, which in the final analysis is the foundation of good government. Incidentally, good government will not tolerate crooked politicians and dishonest officials. Consequently, rackets cannot thrive or even exist. Boys and girls, learn all you can now about how your government works. Find out what makes it tick and why. Make it a habit to study both sides of every important political issue. And in addition, study the records of candidates who seek to run your government, locally or nationally. Vote for the candidate who is best qualified by education and experience, who has the best record for honesty, sincerity, and accomplishment. 
Now, tonight's story reveals how a racketeer named Robertson succeeded in his price-cutting gasoline racket at the expense of the public and the honest gasoline merchant through the judicious bribery of a few unscrupulous men in key positions. In a few years, it will be up to you, boys and girls, to keep unscrupulous men out of key positions by voting intelligently and honestly. Even though some of you are too young to vote now, you're not too young to watch out for racket. And incidentally, if you hear about or know about a racket, won't you write me a letter about it? And that invitation goes for all my listeners. Just address your letter to the Green Hornet in care of the station to which you are listening. And in the meantime, let's get on with our story. After the train was wrecked, I made sure nobody got a good look at them tank cars. I don't like all this talk about the Hornet, Mr. Robertson. Neither do I, Sue. That's your positive it was the Hornet? Yeah, it was him. If he planned that accident, so was Now, nah, that was luck. It was a frozen switch. But when you saw him, he was near one of the cars? I couldn't help it, boys. He Never came... mind alibis. Hey, Robertson, you think he had a chance to examine the tank cars? That's what troubles me, Sue. He'd been using false bottom tank cars, storing inferior gasoline in the false bottoms. That way, we could pass the regular government inspection. Yeah, as long as we bribed a couple of them not to be too inquisitive. Yeah, there are always people who will take bribes. But all this horn talk, it ain't so good, Robertson. Well, let's hope it dies down. Once this scare is over, the public will continue to buy my gasoline. <laughs> and continue to think they're getting a bargain. Listen, boss. Well? Uh, I was just thinking. Don't you have no kicks from car owners? That stuff we pour into their tanks must ruin the motors in a hurry. That's taken care of. Yes, Dutch. The attendants tell them it's poor garage service that's responsible. And they fall for it. Sure, they can't take the gasoline themselves. Right. We pocket the difference and grab off the market. Expecting somebody, boss? I know. Here that is, Sue. Okay, Robert. Anything else, boss? No, you can get back to your job. Another trainload of empties going back. This time, keep your eyes open. Um, how about my pay? What? I've been asking for a raise for the last couple of months. Well, it'll have to wait. But listen... Judge, that's I... all. Remember, there was an investigation. It cost me plenty to cover it up. You'll have to wait. Oh, that's all I hear. All right. Coming back. I told him you were busy, Mr. Robertson. Who's this? Always the name, Robertson. You hold your busy, but never too busy to see the press. He's a newspaper man. Yeah, from the Sentinel. Well, well, if it isn't my old pal. Hello. <laughs> Still keeping spectators away from train wrecks? Your business is with me? Huh? Oh, yeah, I was just wondering. Then suppose you get to it. About that investigation, Robertson, the Sentinel... The investigation is over. My company has a clean slate. What I want to know is who wiped it clean. What? Now, see here. Come on, come on. Don't blow up like a powder pigeon. How much dough did you pay out for a whiteboard? You can't... Let me out of boss. I'll slug that punk from here to... Put away the brass knuckles, bud. You'll have to end up in the hoose doll if you go on wearing those things. Sit down, Dutch. As for you, Mr. Lowry, I have no statement to make. Now, isn't that... <laughs> Sue, what's the matter? The window. I just saw someone looking in. You're nuts. I saw a man wearing a mask. A mask? Come on, let's see. Nonsense. No one here now. Hey, that car again. There he goes. What car? Who? It's the Green Hornet. The Hornet? What was he doing here? Maybe this will give you the answer, Robertson. Huh? This note. It was left on the windowsill. It's from him. The, the Hornet? Yeah, the Hornet. That note is addressed to me. Give me that. Okay. The private correspondence. Is... Hey. This letter's been opened. You don't say. You open this? Sure. So the Hornet wants 50,000 bucks. 50,000? Huh? You had no right to read this. I don't blame you for being worried, Robert. Right. 
don't know what you're talking about. What I want to know is, are you going to pay him? Of course not. Yeah? When did you open this note? When, when did you... When you see we're gaping at the Hornet car. Now, come on. The Hornet wants 50 grand. That means he knows something, and I want to know what. That's ridiculous. I don't know what you're talking about. And if you print this in your paper, I'll... I, I... You'll what? Get out of here. Get out. Throw him out, Dutch. $50,000 to a crook. Ridiculous. <laughs> Ted Gunnigan. The Green Hornet demands 50000 from Robertson. You saw the note? With my big brown eyes. It's a McCoy. I saw the Hornet car, too. What did Robertson say? He hit the ceiling. And I hit the sidewalk. Too many questions, eh? <laughs> yeah, he got torn, had me thrown out. Is the Sentinel going to print it? And how? I'm waiting to check with Reed on how he wants it handled. This happened last night, Gunnigan? Right, Reed. Larry was there when it happened. We've been giving you space in the early editions. I thought maybe you could give us an angle for the late afternoon final. Robertson could give no reason? Maybe he could, but he didn't. Larry said he just looked scared. Hmm. Maybe it's just a plain extortion note. You think the Hornet has something on Robertson? I don't know. Well, I'll keep it going. We may find out later. I hope we do, Reed. And meanwhile, if there's nothing further, I'm calling it a day, Gunnigan. Good night. things up. Hand me the phone. Yes, sir. Now it's time for us to follow it. To call someone? It's almost dark enough to go out in the black beauty. I'm getting Robertson ready. I, uh... Hello? Let me talk to Robertson. Mr. Robertson, step out for a moment. Tell him I'll be over around nine o'clock. Who is this? Tell him to have that money. Money? I... The green horse. Exactly. I'll be there. Uh, He'll be waiting. At nine. That's all. I told the secretary, Cato. Robertson will be expecting me. I see. Now I've got two more phone calls to make. One to that man who works for Robertson. Who is that? A man named Dutch. And the other to the police. You go ahead, Cato. Got the black beauty in shape. I'll meet you later. Very well. Hello, Dutch. Now listen to me and listen close. <laughs> while later, Britt Reed opened the secret panel behind his clothes press and went along the narrow passage built within the wall of the apartment house, which connected directly with the adjoining building. Supposedly abandoned, this building was in reality the hiding place of the sleek, streamlined car of the Green Hornet. You're checking the motor, Cato? It's all right now, Mr. Britt. Okay, get the hood down. It's time for us to get traveling. You... You called? I spoke to Dutch, Cato. He's planning to leave on a train made up of Robertson's empty plank cars. He'll be at Robertson's home tonight. Hey. Apparently, Robertson doesn't take Dutch completely into his confidence. Dutch asks no questions. He'll be there, and he won't tell Robertson ahead of time. Why? Because he was told not to, and he'll do what the Hornet tells him. You take the wheel, Cato. Very well. I want the gas gun and the mask. Are they in the glove compartment? Yes, sir. Here you are. Good. Now, get this. You're driving me to Robertson's, but you're not waiting for me. You'll take the Black Beauty and wheel out of there fast. But, Mr. As Red, soon as I signal from the window, you step on the gas. Do you understand? The police? Never mind the police. I phone them and they'll be there, but you do as you're told. But it's I... the only way, Cato. Now, believe me. If anything goes wrong, well, we may land behind bars. But we're going to see to it that it doesn't. We're going to see that the bars close on Robertson, not us. Now, step on it. <laughs> 
time. Almost nine o'clock, Robertson. Oh, that blasted hornet. I only dared get the police in on this. I... But you don't. How much does he know? Where'd he get his information? I know plenty, Robertson. What's that? It's him, the Green Hornet. Take it easy. You were expecting me. Uh, yes, but how'd you get in? You moved like a cat. Couldn't hear a sound. Fortunately, this filing cabinet stands almost directly in front of the back window. That's how you got in. You have the money, Robertson? Well, just a I moment. time I... to hand it over. Well, what are you going to do with it? I might be giving it to charity. Charity? From the Green Hornet? Perhaps. In fact, I will. I'll send it anonymously. Have you any suggestions for a worthy charity, Robertson? Now, look There must here. be someone anxious to get charity in your racket. Oh, stop it. Stop pulling. You persist in thinking I'm pulling okay. Let's get down to business. And the business is the money. First of all, how much do you know? I could use this gun and take the money, Robertson. No. no wait. Don't shoot. But I'll hold my fire. I know all about those tank cars, Robertson. I know that they have false bottoms. That you slip them by the government inspectors. That you sell gas that's way off standard to the public. But where did Where'd you... Where did I get that information? Well, first of all, I saw the tank cars, and they were empty. But I tapped them with a hammer. The difference in sound gave away the false bottom. Oh, that's why you guarded those empty cars so carefully. Just one thing, Robertson. Next time, be more careful who you choose to do your guarding. What? Some of them are open to bribery. Robertson, he means Dutch. A clever girl. So that's it. Dutch has been talking. For all you know, Robertson, he might be in with me. Listen, Hornet, I'll make a deal. Take care of Dutch, and I'll pay you twice this. The door. See what it is. But I... Go ahead. It's probably Dutch. Dutch here? He's supposed to be on the train. I told him to come here. He's working for you. I'm open to a proposition, Robertson. Now put out the light. Huh? Put out the light. Now bring Dutch in. Go ahead. Okay. Give me that money. Can't we talk it over? First? Hand it over. That's better. There's enough light for Dutch to see us. Jim leave it well enough. When he gets here, state your proposition. You understand? You, you mean you'll consider it? Make it clear for Dutch has been a fellow. I don't Quiet. Hey, what's the idea? Talking in the dark. Come in, Dutch. It looks like our little partnership is dissolved. The Green Hornet, huh? I'm on Robertson's side, Dutch. Not yours. You, you gave him the dough, boss? You double-crossing oh. little rat. Filling my affairs, huh? The Hornet's in with me now. He'll take care of you. Huh? Oh, what are you talking about? You gave him information so he could hold me up for 50000 But the Hornet's tossed you over, Dutch. He's playing ball with me. That means he's taking care of you. Yes, you'll be well taken care of, Dutch. Wait a minute. That gun. You ain't I'm gonna... on Robertson's side listen, now. Don't shoot me. Robertson, listen. I ain't never talked. I'm no squeezer. Get away from him. Where's this shade? You got some light. Take him, Horton. Get him out of here. No, I tell you, don't. Open the door. Robertson, it's the police. Police? Help! Help! Horton, get him out of here. That's the Horton's car. He's going away. What is it? Sure. So the horn is crammed, huh? Okay, Robertson, this time I'll fix your racket plenty. Hear them guys outside? Wait a minute, Judge. Wait, nothing. They're cops, see? Cops. I'm going out to get them. The horn ain't here to scare me, see? I'm going to tell them the word. Yes. It's no use. He's gone. That's too late. Dutch is going to talk. He knows everything, everything. Robertson, he better beat it. Yes, out the back way, this way. No, you don't. You. Oh, the Hornet. I thought she'd gone. That was my car you heard, but I wasn't in it. Get us out of here. The police That's exactly what they're going to do. Take it, Robert. Oh, no. I can't breathe. You shot it. Just gas. He'll be all right soon enough. And here's the same for you. You'll both wake up behind bars. You just got there. Goodbye, and thank you for the 50,000. Where are they? In this room right here. Put on the light, somebody. Beat it out. As soon as the hornet left, they must have scrammed. But you can pick him up. He tried to have me bumped off. I'll tell you everything. Okay, Dutch, you talk and the sentinel will print. It's a racket. The phone wait. I can give you names, the figures, and dates, everything. 
Try to bump me off, will they, that dirty rat? Hey, there you are, John. What? What's that, Moran? Here they are on the floor. Must have tried to go out the back way, but the hornet dashed them. Yeah, that's them. That's Robinson. I thought the hornet was gone. Otherwise, I've been too scared to let you in. We're in now, bud. I don't know where the hornet is, but these crooks are going into a cell block. Now, come on. Take up where you left off. The Sentinel goes to press with a racket story. <laughs> folks hope you enjoyed that um the next one that i've got for you it's called slip of the lip and i actually like that one um i never was into the green hornet but um you guys whoever likes it y'all got me into it because uh he puts me in this in the mind of uh he puts me in mind of the shadow because the shadow um you know he uh hypnotizes people to make them think he's invisible and uh but the green hornet he's a recorder i mean a reporter lord help me um he's a reporter and he changes into a hornet when he wants to you know, be concealed, or if he thinks he's going to find out some good information. And I love the sound effect that they've got for the hornet. Uh, it's, it it sounds just like a real one, because believe me, I've lived in the country all my life, and uh, huh, you can't tell, can you? <laughs> but I have. Um, I don't now, but. I grew up in the country and, ooh, lordy, we had hornets and it sounded, they sounded just like that one. So I don't know where they got that sound effect, but they sure did a good job with it. The green hornet. He hunts the biggest of all game, public enemies who try to destroy our America. of our government, the King Trendle Broadcasting Corporation asks you to accept Uncle Sam as the sponsor of the Green Hornet program. Have you ever worked on a farm? Do you want a farm job? Then you are needed to help produce food for victory. America must plant, grow, harvest, and process more food than ever before. Food for our armed forces, food for our allies, and food for our army of war production workers. If you have ever worked on a farm, you can help win the battle of food production. If you've ever worked on a dairy farm, there's a job waiting for you, especially if you know how to operate a milking machine. Register now at your nearest United States Employment Office. With 
his faithful valet, Cato, Britt Reed, daring young publisher, matches wits with racketeers and saboteurs. Risking his life, the criminals and enemy spies will feel the weight of the law by the sting of the Green Hornet. Ride with Britt Reed in the thrilling adventure, A Slip of the Lip. The Green Hornet strikes again. Oh, I wish they'd give me more time. 
How's the guy going to pound out a story for the early edition if he's got to be in? Oh, it's you, Casey. Well, how are you, sweetheart? What gives you the boss? He does? No, no, I've got no objections. He's the guy I work for. Sure, I'll see him. What's it about? Oh, won't talk, huh? Well, the same to you, dearie, and bingo. <laughs> oh, yes, I think that's terrible. No, what I think you should do is talk to a policeman. Aunt Sue doesn't handle that kind of a problem. Oh, man, perhaps he just wanted to do a little celebrating. How old is he? Oh, why, of course, and just off a boat? Yes, ma'am, that's what I'd do if I were you. Of course, you might put an ad in the personal column. Yes, ma'am, you're welcome. <laughs> and they're racing sugar. Oh, I wish Mr. Gunnigan hadn't given me this job. I don't want to be in soon. Well, somebody's got to be tagged with Mabel Brownlee on vacation. I think you do just dandy. Now, look, come on. Come on where? This case just called. Mr. Reed wants to see us. Oh, I bet I've done something wrong. Don't worry, Gail. Maybe the boss will let you be Ansu permanently. Oh, no, Larry. He <laughs> couldn't do that. I'm a reporter. You never know. You never know. <laughs> Mr. Reed, how much longer do I have to write that column of advice? I'm just sick to death of Don't it. listen to her, boss. She loves it. She's got the sympathetic Oh, Lowry. Oh, 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 now, hold on, you two. This is neutral ground. You are doing a swell job with that column, Gail, but don't worry. Miss Brownlee will be back tomorrow, and you're back to your regular reporting. You're too good a reporter to waste. I just wanted to commend you on the column, that's all. Boss, did you say commend or condemn? Oh, it sure <laughs> is a relief to know I don't have to be Aunt Sue anymore. Well, just imagine the silly questions people ask. I was just talking to some woman named Dennis, and she's all upset about her son not showing up at home after he called her from the city. He's a deckhand on a ship. Yeah, you gave the old doll the brush off fast. Told her that Sonny Boy might be celebrating or that she should call the police. Is that a way to talk to a nice old lady? Oh, she should call the police. Okay, that takes care of that. Now, Laurie, uh, you answered a police call last night, didn't you? Police call? Oh, yeah, yeah. Down on the waterfront, a brawl in some cafe. Oh, I've uh, got it right here. This morning's paper? Yeah, it's right on uh, Mm -hmm. page three. Burying my stuff. There wasn't anything important about it, was it? Nah. That's why it's on page three. You know those waterfront spots, boss? They're always having brawls. Yeah, especially that one. Tidewater Inn. It's a fancy name, but it's not so fancy... You mean especially? Well, I thought I remembered the name, Laurie, so I had the back files checked. Hmm? Well, here's an item from two weeks ago. Waterfront fight at Tidewater Inn. Two arrested. Now, this is three weeks ago. Proprietor of Waterfront Dive, question. Tidewater Inn, so on. Hire two more. It's awful regular, Mr. Reed. Well, I talked to the police. They say there's always a lot of noise in these places, but they're watching it. Now, that whole area from Water Street down to Spruce and from 10th to 2nd is Wait, just a... Wait, What, Gail? With this woman I was just talking to on the phone. Her son called her from Water Street in Second. His name is Dennis. And he Water and ever... Second? That's where the Tidewater is. Uh, maybe the kid got picked up when the police raided that place. Perhaps. Or Gail, call the police and check on it. Yes, sir. Lowry, yeah, well, you talk to Gunning and see if he'll give you a roving assignment. I want you to cover the waterfront for a while. Maybe there's something going on there. Right, boss. I'll call this instant, Mr. Reed. Be seeing you, boss. Here, let me get that door, Gail. Cancel my appointments. I'm going home for the evening. Second at Water Street. The Tidewater Inn. 
Kato. Is that you, Mr. Briggs? You'll come back to the apartment early. Kato, it's dark outside. Get the gas gun and the hornet mask. <laughs> Mr. Briggs. Step on us. We're going out in the black beauty. <laughs> Uh, 
They're wounded. Yeah. Yeah, they, they got a phone call. They shot me before they left. Let's hurry. Bullet in the shoulder. Maybe we fix his? Spies. Spies. Sabotage. They'll sabotage the ship. I, I'm weak. I'm going to pass out. Dennis, what ship? What's the sailing time? Dennis, what's the name of your ship? Yeah. You could stop him. My ship is... Uh, you... You're wearing a mask. You're the green... Green Hornet. I'm your friend. Tell me. Oh. Oh, you're a spy like them. No. Mr. Brick. He has fainted. story in just a moment. But first, a message to Americans. This is a war between two worlds. Ours is a free world consisting of free peoples. Put yours to work for the defense of freedom everywhere by buying defense bonds and stamps every payday or every week. If you need your money before your bonds mature, you can cash your bonds anytime 60 days after purchase. For our own savings, to help our country to victory... Let's put our dimes and dollars into the nation's war chest. Now to continue our story. Dennis was still unconscious after an hour. Britt Reed and Cato had bandaged his wound and were trying to revive him. Not much hope. We've got to try. That ship might be sailing at any time, perhaps even tonight. Dennis. Dennis. Foreman. What about Foreman? Foreman? Tidewater. What? Tidewater. He's very weak. Better for him to get some sleep and a good doctor, yes? Well, he's in no danger, but... Well, yes, we won't be able to learn anymore. Yeah, I will carry him. What do we do? Well, I'll carry him to the Black Beauty. Pass through a village coming out here. You can leave him at some house and ring the bell before we go. Sure to get care of that way. But then what do we do, Mr. Britt? There's no use getting to talk anymore. I'm afraid of this mask. The only words he did mumble were Yes, some... uh, tide water. Maybe it's about ocean. Tide come in, perhaps. Maybe that's where farmen go. Yeah, it might be, but... <sighs> I don't know. Tide water. What... Kato, that's it? The ocean? No, right back where we came from. The tide water in. What... But that is so, of course. Now, faster the better. You take the wheel, Cato. I'll handle Dennis. Okay, now turn around. We'll leave him at some house and back to the city. Fast, Cato. Salt drink and hot dog stand. Yeah. I was in that joint a couple times. Yeah, the Tidewater. Hello, Larry. What? Oh, oh hello, Cavanaugh. Spill it, Larry. When a sentinel reporter sticks his nose into a phone and talks in whispers, there's something buzzing. You're just the guy I'm looking for, Cavanaugh. Hold the phone, Gunnigan. There's a cop here now. 
Look, Avenue, it's this way. Easy. Uh, hey, George, this is private. You got something to do at the other end of your counter, ain't you? Huh? Oh, I catch. You're all alone. No. Avenue, I got a nose for news. Look, chum, we ain't talking about your features. What kind of a place is that? The Tidewater? Well, it ain't savory. I see what you mean about the nose. There's something cooking, Kavanaugh. Sherlock's been in a fight. He's acting as spooky as a rat that's afraid of a cat. Yeah? That's not so good. But why? That joint's got more exits than the whole subway system. It's a rabbit warren. Dozens of ways in and the same going out. Then maybe you better call headquarters and get some help. Why? Here's why. Listen while I tell this to Gunnigan. He hasn't heard it yet. Gunnigan, hold on to your hat. Well, put one on and then hold on to it. I found something in the alley behind that dive. What did I find? Oh, nothing much. Just a green horn and seal. A green... Holy cats, give me that phone. A green hornet. I said you're nuts. 
Are you sure the green harness is... This is sealed, Captain. I know what I'm talking about. And I know I'm getting tired waiting and watching. Let the brake for you. You're standing still, aren't you? No cracks. What about the other cops? Aren't they ever going to show? I don't know. The department's short-handed, Lowry. There's a... There's a couple of ships leaving on the early tide. Get what I mean? Oh, transports? Lend Lee's cargo stuff. A lot of cops have been assigned to patrol the area around so there's no sabotage. Well, okay, then. It's you and me, Kavanaugh. But if we have... Kavanaugh! Huh? Look. That man, look close to the wall. He's, he's going toward the back door. Yeah, I can't see him so well. His hat's pulled down. Kavanaugh, it's him. I caught a glimpse as he slipped inside. He's wearing a mask. It's him. Come on! <laughs> Just make sure everything goes right. Help it back. You'll get back right now. You. Max. He's the green horn. Don't you fool me. I will talk and talk fast. Where's the other one? Where's Fall? Don't shoot. He's going to the Black Star. Thanks. The Black Star, is it? That's the name of a ship. If you want to see him, why not wait? He'll be back soon. You can talk to him and find out what you... A makeup kit. A makeup... Come on, what's the gag? Who's he doubling for? Talk to this gun, Will. I, I tell you, I tell you. you don't have to. I can add it up. He's gone to the Black Star. That man that was shot was a seaman. Now Fallman looks like him. <laughs> Thanks. I can read it in your face. Oh, Thanks. Police. Police, I've got to get out. Hornet, Hornet, we'll talk about this later. we got to get out. No, we're not getting out. You're staying right here, but thanks for showing me the way. Oh, oh, no, don't you. Take it, Rats. He isn't dead. Don't he know the Hornet used gas on him? When he wakes up, he'll be behind bars, ready for a long storm. Kevin, for Pete's sake. Huh? Did you hear what this lug said? The ship he mentioned, the Black Star. Isn't that one of the boats that's going to head out on convoy? The Black. Flory, you're right. It's sabotage. Call the chief, Kavanaugh. they got to watch out for the Green Hornet. The Hornet had already traveled a few short blocks to the waterfront, near the wharf where the Black Star was getting ready to sail. Cato waited further along the waterfront in the bar as the Hornet went on alone. By the time the police were warned and the guards at the gates were doubled, a wet figure was already climbing up one of the lines that held the ship to the pier. His clothes were sodden from swimming. Water dripped from his shoes and his hats. It was dark, pitch dark. No one could see him or the mask that he wore over his face. The mask of the Green Hornet. In the darkness, the Hornet moves swiftly from deck to deck, unnoticed by the busy men. Only inside and below decks where a few lights burned did he have to be careful. He skirted the lighted areas, his keen eyes watchful and alert. There's some place. I've got to find him. I've got to. I'm looking for Denny. Denny? So I'm heading forward, number one head. Oh, thanks. Come on, you guys. We shovel off in an hour. Number one hatch. Number one at the forward. Torpedo travel fast. I was just caught in here. Number one. Hello, Fallman. Who are you? I'm Danny. That was a shot in the dark, Mr. But it worked. You're Fallman. I've been looking for you. Green Hornet. That's right. Now there's one more. Stand back. 
I've got nitroglycerin. Stand back or I'll blow us both to bits. Nitroglycerin? I'm taking it, Fallman. Stay away. You wouldn't dare, Fallman. Get back. Get back, I tell you. You're yellow, Fallman. You're yellow clean through. You're afraid to drop that nitro. You're afraid of that. I got it. I couldn't. I'd have killed myself. I couldn't. I... Hornet, listen now. Let me shut up. You know those whistles? That's no, I got the police for them. The police? Yes, you're at. They're going to see what you really are with this makeup on your face. <laughs> now, this is for you, you rat. No, no. Don't shoot. Help. Help. Take it. A corner. Out of the bow. Get down that way. Searchlight flicked on, the beam etching the hornet against the bow of the ship. But even as the men shouted, Rit Reed's arm swung back. With all his might, he threw a package far, far out toward the dark water. Hey, there he is! He's moving out the middle of the river. What a place is going to be! Never mind, he's going to dive over the side. Let's get him before he gets away. What holy mackerel! It didn't do any harm. It landed way out. Uh, here's all that's left. The hornet's open to the water. That's Denny, one of the deckhands. He... Well, smash my bulkhead, it's not Denny. No, mister, this is the man who shot Denny. His name's Fallman, he's a saboteur. Shot Denny? Is he... Thanks, mister, Denny's okay, he's just wounded. He's in a house out of town a ways. He called up just before we got here. He'd be glad to know that gang was rounded up. That is, except for the Green Hornet. The only way we catch that crook is in the headlines. next? Are you taking a summer vacation? Then you'll want to do your bit in this all-out war for freedom. Young people, boys and girls, are needed to help in war production, both in factories and on the farms. Learn now to serve your country on a war job. Free training and sometimes pay while learning is offered young men and women with a knack for machine work. For full information, to learn how you can best serve your country, to learn about free training courses and jobs in factories and on farms, Go to the nearest United States Employment Office. The address is in your phone book or ask your post office. You have just heard the adventure, A Slip of the Lip. These exciting dramas are sent to you each Saturday at this same time. They are copyrighted features of the Green Hornet Incorporated. All characters, names, places, and incidents used in this drama are purely fictitious. If you're into politics, you might like this next one. It's called Election Boomerang. So, it, I, I, I guess it'll kind of be good to see your comments on that one, but... Um, I'm not into politics all that much, but, uh, you know, I, I know that a lot of you are, and that's fine, well and good. Um, of course, I do vote and stuff. I don't mean that. I just don't get into a lot of political discussions and stuff, but uh, that was kind of a good show. X3, 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 now the most refreshing drink in the world, Orange Crush. <laughs> <laughs> 
presents the Green Hornet. He hunts the biggest of all game, public enemies who try to destroy our America. Faithful valet Cato, Britt Reed, daring young publisher, matches wits with the underworld, risking his life that criminals and racketeers within the law may feel its weight by the sting of the Green Hornet. Now ride with Britt Reed in the thrilling adventure of Election Boomerang. The Green Hornet strikes again. The adventures of the Green Hornet are brought to you by the most refreshing drink in the world, Orange Crush. Delicious Orange Crush is made with real fresh oranges. With all its wonderful fresh fruit flavor, sealed in that sunproof Orange Crush brown bottle. The exclusive brown bottle that keeps light out, keeps flavor in. Always look for that exclusive brown bottle and enjoy the one and only Orange Crush. Political czar Craig Redlands, candidate for the top local office, county commissioner, was James McLean. McLean's opponent, able and honest, was Edward Gilmer, a strong favorite to win the election. McLean's campaign manager, Charlie Rogers, was gloomy, but Craig Redland reassured him. Oh, Charlie, don't worry. McLean will win easily. Boss, this is one time you're wrong. He hasn't a chance. Don't kid yourself. The Green Hornet will elect him. The Green Hornet? What are you talking about? Charlie, two days from now, the Green Hornet's going to come out against McLean and in favor of Gilmer. He'll bomb our campaign headquarters. What? He'll try to intimidate editors and backers of McLean. And he'll threaten to kill McLean. And me. Great day, boss. You mean he's actually going to do those things? No, not actually. But the public will think it's the Green Hornet who's doing them. Instead, it'll be some of my boys who'll cause all the trouble. Making the voters think it's the Green Hornet. <laughs> You'd give McLean an awful time. I think I see what you have in mind. You create sympathy for McLean by having the Green Hornet persecute him, eh? Yes, and I'll implicate Gilmer with the Hornet while I do it. They'll resent a criminal like the Green Hornet working on Gilmer's side. So, in protest, they'll elect McLean. That's terrific, boss. <laughs> yes, I think it is myself. And Charlie, with McLean in office, I'll milk a million dollars out of the county treasury. I'll be riding the gravy train. You'll need a good man to handle the Green Hornet angle, though. Who's it going to be? Well, Pete Sterling, who else? He'll be here at midnight tonight. I'll go over all my plans with him. Tell him exactly what to do. <laughs> yes, sir. Pete Sterling's the man. So that's how it is, Pete. I've had fake masks and seals made, and you'll fix your souped-up car to look like the Black Beauty. When do you want me to start? Day after tomorrow. Or, uh, I should say, the night after tomorrow. I'll be ready, Pete. <laughs> sure. Four persons shared the knowledge that Brick Reed, young publisher of the Daily Sentinel, was the Green Hornet. They were Reed's father, his valet Cato, 
Police Commissioner Higgins and Reed's secretary, lovely Lenore Case. There was a puzzled frown on Miss Case's face when she entered Reed's private office two mornings later, holding a special delivery letter which had arrived just a few minutes before. Mr. Reed, this wasn't marked personal, so I opened it. But I haven't read it yet because... Well, I saw the way it was signed first. Look at it, Mr. Reed, the signature part first. Great Scott, that looks like... Yes, sir, the seal of the Green Hornet. Wait till I read this. Well... What is it, Mr. Reed? The work of some crank? I suppose so. You'd have an idea from the wording that I'm supposed to think it's legitimate. Really? Here, you read it yourself, Miss Case. It congratulates me because the Sentinel's backing Edward Gilmer for county commissioner. It tells me also that the Green Hornet will punish Jim McLean for opposing Gilmer. Ah, uh, there you are. Hi, Casey. Good morning, Michael. Axford, what's the idea? Uh, busting in like this? Well, Casey wasn't outside to let me in. And besides, what I've got to tell you is too important to wait. What is it that's so important? It's the Green Hornet, Reed. That's what. He's just thrown himself kerplop right into the middle of the election campaign. He has? How? Well, my assignment this morning was just the usual one of stopping by McLean's and Gilmer's headquarters to learn what might be stirring. Well, things sure were stirring at Gilmer's place. Don't tell me the Green Hornet was there. No, but they received a letter from the scallywag. He called McLean a few names and told him to pull out and leave the election clear for Gilmer. Because if McLean didn't quit, it said, he'd end up dead or in the hospital. Or did the Green Hornet give a reason for his threat? But he didn't have to. It's as plain as the nose in your face, but the reason is, Gilmer and the Green Hornet are in cahoots. They want to rob the public, and they're afraid McLean will get elected. Michael, that's absurd. Why, Edward Gilmer's an honest man. Yes, pardon me. Mr. Reed's office? Oh, yes, Commissioner, he's right here. It's Commissioner Higgins. Oh, thank you, Miss Case. Hello, Commissioner. Yes, yes, I did. Axford just told me about the letter McLean received. That's probably the work of some crackpot. This is the season for them before election. The Green Hornet's no crackpot. He's a menace and menace. You have the letter in your office, huh? No, thank you. I don't care to see it. I received a supposed Green Hornet letter myself this morning. Glory be, Cassie. You didn't tell me that. It just came in. I'll show it to you when I meet you at dinner tonight. Let's dine at the Gourmet, shall we? It's directly opposite McLean's headquarters. We'll drop in and see McLean after we've eaten. At dinner that evening, Reed and Commissioner Higgins were discussing the letters which both knew were false. But Higgins was troubled. Sure we know they're fakes, Reed. But neither of us is in a position to tell why we know. Oh, forget about the matter, Commissioner. No, I can't. I've had Boss Redland, Charlie Rogers, and McLean himself on my neck all day. The other newspapers in town, too. Reed, they haven't passed off the haunted angle with a few lines as the Sentinel did. They take the matter seriously. Yeah, so does Axford. Well, he's like most people, Reed. Opposition editors included. It never occurs to him that the public and the country usually benefit when the Green Hornet goes into action. To Axford, as to everyone else, the Green Hornet is a criminal... What's that? Sounds like an earthquake. Came from outside nearby. Hey, look at the people in here. They're in a panic. Don't run. Stay right where you are. Nothing's happened here. Don't cross the doorway. Remain inside here. Don't get panicked. I'll see what it is, Reed. There are flames outside. Higgins saw the panic in the street and the flames leaping from the building that housed James McLean's headquarters. He ran back to where Reed had finally calmed the diners. Then together they hurried outside. Higgins sought out a policeman who gave him information. It was a bomb, Commissioner. 
They're in the McLean place by the Green Hornet. Did you hear that, Reed? Officer, are you sure? Yes, sir. He got away, the murdering hound. He shot one of our men who tried to stop him. They killed him. Killed a policeman? Yes, sir. Patrolman Ludlow. The Green Hornet shot him down in cold blood. Within a matter of minutes, network and local radio programs were interrupted by bulletins announcing the explosion and murder. Later that evening, commentators gave additional information of the tragedy that had suddenly caused the city to become a seething cauldron of public indignation. Police announced that in addition to Patrolman Ludlow, three other persons were killed and eight wounded by the Green Hornet's murderous foray into the McLean Midtown headquarters. Never in the city's history has such... Political boss Craig Redland snapped off his radio set and, ashen-faced, turned to McLean's campaign manager, Charlie Rogers. Oh, it gets worse and worse, Charlie. Pete must have been crazy, boss. Shooting down a policeman of all persons. Well, Pete should be here at any minute. We'll find out what happens when he gets here. When Pete Sterling arrived later, he had no sense of guilt. It was the cop's fault. When I threw the bomb, he came running from nowhere shooting at me. I shot back. <laughs> he missed. I didn't. <laughs> I suppose there was nothing else you could do. Well, I got away, didn't I? The cops think it was the Green Hornet who did it, don't they? So what's the beef? You killed three of our party workers. Uh, so they were unlucky. The boss will send them flowers. Yes, yes, I'll send them flowers. Pete, whether you meant to or not, you fouled up my plans. But you did get results. Sure I did. So what's going to be different? Well, I'll decide tomorrow. After we have the complete reaction to what happened this evening. Okay. I'll call you tomorrow night, Pete. And from now on, all our contacts will be by phone. What are you going to do, boss? You read the papers tomorrow afternoon. I'm going to police headquarters in the morning and see the commissioner. Now, Commissioner, I received this letter from the Green Hornet this morning threatening my life. He says he'll kill me if I don't make McLean quit the race. I read the letter, Mr. Redland. Well, I demand that you arrest Gilmer, Commissioner. He and the Green Hornet have plans to take over the county treasury if McLean quits. And if they do, they'll steal the people blind. Those are your thoughts, Mr. Redland. All I'm concerned with now is trying to catch a mass murderer. We're convinced that the killer last night wasn't really the Green Hornet. The car wasn't the same as his. Nor are the seals on your letter the same as those on the Green Hornet letters in our file. Now see here, Commissioner. You've heard witnesses who saw the bombing and murder last night. They agree it was the Green Hornet who committed both. Yes, Now but... hear me out. In this letter I received, the Green Hornet admits it was he who did those things last night. He threatens my life. I'll give you a 24-hour-a-day police guard, Mr. Redland. Mr. McLean will get the same. Oh, but Gilmer will be free to meet secretly with his partner, the Green Hornet, hmm? You refuse to arrest him and get to the bottom of this matter. Higgins, after a trying session with Redland, left headquarters and hurried to Britt Reed's office, where he, the young publisher, and Miss Case talked in privacy. Reed, I don't mind telling you I'm in a tight spot. I can't come out and say positively that I know the Green Hornet's not involved. I realize that. Commissioner, the more I think of what's happened, and the more I think of Redland's actions in past years, the more I'm inclined to believe this entire situation was created to cause Gilmer's withdrawal, so McLean can win in a walkover. Hey, you may have something there. Redland showed absolutely no concern about the persons who were murdered last night. His entire talk was about the political aspects and the outrage against McLean. Well, that's the way his statement to the newspapers read, too. 
he seemed more concerned with having Mr. Gilmer withdraw from the race. He wanted me to arrest Gilmer. Which would almost certainly cause Gilmer to resign or be removed from his ticket. Right. But your surmise about Redland could be wrong. You realize that, Reed? Of course I do. I'd like to find out if it is, though. I intend to. Uh, Miss Case, look up Redland's telephone numbers. Call him at his home, his office, or wherever he may be. While Miss Case made a series of telephone calls trying to locate Craig Redland, Brett Reed talked in low tones with Commissioner Higgins. Finally, Miss Case completed her efforts. That was Mr. Redland's home again, Mr. Reed. He hasn't returned yet, and I can't locate him anywhere else. Well, who's that on the other end of the phone now? Mr. Rogers, he said his name was. Oh, that's McLean's campaign manager. Mr. Rogers said he was expecting to hear from Mr. Redland, and he'll have Mr. Redland call you when he gets in. Good. I'll wait till I hear from him. Yes, sir. Mr. Reed's been expecting your call. Just a moment, please. Mr. Redland. Oh, thanks. Mr. Redland, it's very important that I talk with you. I'm sorry. It's nothing I can discuss on the phone. Oh, I see. Well, that'll be all right. Hey, Reed. Did you hear the... Quiet, Michael. Go. Mr. Reed's talking. Well, I'll drive out to your place then, Mr. Redland. I'll be there about 8.30. Goodbye. Reed, Gilmer's finished. McLean's going to be elected. You're sure of that, Ashford? Positive. People are phoning and sending telegrams. All demanded him to withdraw. Him being a pal of the Green Harlots is something decent people can't stand. Reed, where are you going? I'm leaving for the night. Good night, Axford. Good night, Miss Case. Good night, Mr. Reed. Say, Reed, don't you want me to go with you to see Redmond? I know how to handle these interviews. No, Axford, I'll do this alone. Suppose you go to police headquarters. If I need your help, I'll call you there. We'll continue our story in just a moment. Hi, fellas and gals. Isn't this an exciting story? But let's take time out to relax a minute. And say, when it comes to relaxing, you know what's really great? It's a drink of ice-cold, delicious Orange Crush. That delightful, tangy Orange Crush flavor is so wonderfully refreshing. You can taste the sunny, ripened goodness of fresh California oranges. Orange Crush is made from real oranges. Yes, the finest, juiciest, tree-ripened oranges in all California. There's nothing artificial about Orange Crush. No artificial flavoring, no artificial coloring. That golden, fresh fruit Orange Crush goodness is nature's and nature's alone. That's why you can drink all you want of delicious Orange Crush. It's good for you, really nourishing. And that's something you want to tell your mom. Tell her you like Orange Crush. Tell her to keep the refrigerator stocked up with Orange Crush all the time. She can pick it up at her grocer's in a six-bottle handy pack. And let me tell you something important. Whenever you or Mom go to buy Orange Crush, make sure you get the real thing. Don't just say orange. Say, I want Orange Crush. There's no other drink so good. No other drink in the whole world with the same luscious fresh fruit flavor. You'll recognize Orange Crush by its famous crinkly brown bottle, the sunproof bottle that keeps sunlight out and keeps the flavor in. So always ask for and be sure you get genuine Orange Crush. That's O-R-A-N-G-E-C-R-U-S-H, Orange Crush. Now back to the Green Hornet.
eight o'clock, Britt Reed prepared to leave his apartment with Cato, his faithful confidant. Let me check. I have my mask in this pocket. My gas gun in this. Cato, do you have my dark raincoat in the car? Oh, yes, Mr. Britt. Put it there like you say. Then let's set out for Redland's place. Well, Mr. Britt, if you think maybe a green hornet going to do things later, or perhaps we use black beauty... No, no, Cato, we'll forget it tonight. First of all, there may be no reason to assume the green hornet role this evening. Secondly, I want you to drive me directly to the door of Redland's house. And regardless of what happens... I want you to drive away from there later. Oh, very well, Mr. Britt. Somebody downstairs. Oh, don't bother pressing the button, Cato. Uh, that's Commissioner Higgins. He'll be waiting outside for me. Commissioner Higgins, whose car was parked a short distance away from the house, was waiting in front of the apartment building when Reed emerged. The conversation between the two men was brief. Higgins concluded. And five minutes after you get to Redland's place, I'll arrange to drive up and talk to the policeman I placed on guard in front of the main entrance to the grounds. Oh, that'll be perfect. I uh, hope you don't mind doing this, Commissioner. Reed, I've never been more concerned in solving a crime in all my life. I'll do anything to get at the truth. I feel the same way. I'll keep the officer on guard in conversation till after your car departs. I'll meet you or Cato in case you stay on at Redland's, the place we agreed. Good luck, Reed. For both of us, Commissioner. All right, Cato. Five minutes after Britt Reed entered the main gate to the palatial home of Craig Redland and went on to the front door, another car stopped near the policeman on duty there. Commissioner Higgins parked the car and walked over to the patrolman. Good evening, officer. Oh, hello, Commissioner. Anything been stirring around here? Thought I'd make a first-hand inspection of the situation. Inside the house, Britt Reed had wasted no time in getting to the point, a point that had Craig Redland's face flushed. While Charlie Rogers stood beside Redland and listened, Reed repeated the theories he had outlined to Commissioner Higgins earlier that day and ended... And Redland, because I want to see justice in every sense of the word... I refuse to use the Daily Sentinel columns to demand Edward Gilmer's withdrawal from the race. You mean to say you don't believe the Green Hornet did this thing last night? That's my belief? Yes. I told you why. I went to police headquarters and went over the evidence they have there. For one thing, in all the crimes he's been accused of, the Green Hornet has never resorted to murder. Well, there's always a first time. The way you talk, Reed, you'd think I staged that incident last night. Did I sound that way? You most certainly did. Uh, Mr. Redland, I wanted to tell you face to face why the Daily Sentinel didn't publish your statement today. We're opposed to libel. Good night again. Well, now wait a second. Charlie will see you to your car. Charlie Rogers escorted Reed to his automobile and watched it disappear down the landscape path that led to the main gate. Masked by giant cedar trees that fringed the path, Cato slowed the car halfway to the gate. Well, they not see us now from coast, Mr. Bitt. You jump out. I go on. Watch out. Don't bump tree. Coat and hatter in place. Here it goes. Reed leaped nimbly from the car and sprinted in among the trees. Cato looked back to where Reed had arranged his top coat and hat so that a man seemed to be sitting in the back seat. Well, that looked very good.
Outside the estate, Commissioner Higgins had maneuvered the policeman on guard to a spot about ten yards from the gate. As Cato drove the car onto the road and turned in a direction away from the men, Higgins waved at the silhouette in the rear seat of the car. Hi there, Reed. Good to see you. He turned nonchalantly to the policeman. Well, that was Britt Reed, publisher of the Sentinel. Oh, Reed, huh? As I was saying, officer, when your 12-weight relief comes on duty, I'd like to speak to you. At that moment, Britt Reed, in the mask of the Green Hornet and wearing a dark raincoat, used his special key to gain admittance to the Redland house by way of a side door. He heard Redland's voice in the study, and stealthily he made his way along the dimly lit hall and entered the room next to the study. He hurried across the dark and empty room and placed his ear against the sliding doors that separated the two rooms. In his study, an angry and nervous Craig Redlin checked over a series of addresses before him. Then he returned to the outburst he had started after Charlie Rogers had returned from seeing Reed to his car. Smug look on Reed's face made me want to hit him right in the jaw. He's a smarter fellow than most people give him credit for being, boss. He guessed right off the bat that it wasn't the Green Hornet last night. Higgins was much the same way. You know I'd like to have Pete take care of both of those smart guys. Well, why don't you, boss? And make it look as if the Green Hornet did the job. Yes, perhaps that's what I'll do. But first I'll see if I can make this Green Hornet plan of mine go over. Why do you want these lists of our warden precinct headquarters? Because I'm about to call Pete Sterling. Time to have those places blown to kingdom come. There'll be a note from the Green Hornet left at each of the bomb places. And they'll include Gilmer for sure. Now, Charlie, hand me the phone. Here you are, boy. Thanks. I'll settle this thing once and for all. Who do they think they're playing with, kids? Huh. Yes, Pete. Now listen. Were all your men there? Then where are they? Well, give me the addresses. 1085 Indervale Avenue. Remember that, Charlie. I have it, boy. Now, Pete, you and your boys are going into high gear tonight. I want some of the McLean headquarters blown up. Charlie will bring your men to the addresses of the places. And he'll also bring them Green Hornet notes to be left near the places they bomb. Oh, uh, Charlie... Get me blank letterheads and green hornet seals from the desk. Right away, boy. Now, Pete, get in touch with your boys. Tell them Charlie will give them instructions. He'll leave here in a few minutes. You! I want you to come here within an hour. Right. Now, listen. You have that gun you used on the cop last night. All right, bring it along with you. Don't ask questions. Just do as I say. Goodbye. Here you are, boys. Are you going to write the green hornet notes now? Yes, Take them with a list of addresses to the hideout. I'll call you there after Pete gets here. What's he going to do here? I'm not telling you, Charlie. But I promise you this. It'll make Britt Reed and Commissioner Higgins look like fools. The Green Hornet had heard everything that was said. He made his way to the rear door of the house. When the sound of Roger's departing car had faded, he let himself out the door plunged into the underbrush, and ran out onto a back road, heading for the place where he'd arranged to meet Cato and Commissioner Higgins. Rick Reed, without the Green Hornet's mask and carrying his black raincoat, arrived at the spot where Commissioner Higgins and Cato waited, cars parked near to each other. Reed, you've come sooner than I expected. Did you learn anything? Everything, Commissioner. Listen. Reed repeated all he had heard. Higgins was astounded. Why, Reed, this means the entire case is right in our hands, all sewed up. Yes, 
This Pete Sterling, who's due at Redland's place, is bringing the gun he used last night. But why? Well, that's something you must learn for yourself, Commissioner. Cato and I are returning home, but I left the rear door of Redland's house open. Now, if you summon your police here and enter without Redland's hearing you, chances are you'll learn whatever else there is to know. This is a good thing. I'm very glad for sake of Green Hornet. And for Edward Gilmer's sake, too, Cato. What's the address where Rogers is heading? 1085 Entervale Avenue. Way on the outskirts. I'll call headquarters and tell them to get men out there, ready to take over the place after Rogers gets there. Then I'll have a squad come here, and we'll work our way into the Redland house. Pete Sterling entered the study with Redland after the latter had admitted him to the house. Well, I'm here with the old rascal, boss. What do you want me to do with it? Shoot me. Sure, I... Huh? What did you say? I said, shoot me. <laughs> In the shoulder, Pete. Uh, that's the gun you shot the cop with last night, isn't it? Yeah. But why shoot you with it? I don't get it. You don't have to. But the police and newspapers will. And that's what I want. It'll convince Commissioner Higgins that the Green Hornet shot me. How will it do that? Because you'll wipe your fingerprints from the gun and leave it behind. I'll say the Green Hornet dropped it as he fled. Then what? The police will examine the gun. They'll find that the bullet which killed the policeman came from this same gun. Hey, that's a good idea. But I still see no reason to shoot you. Well, I do. I think Higgins has a faint idea that this whole thing's a frame-up. And if he has, he'll lose it quickly when he learns that I've been shot by the Green Hornet. I don't think we'll lose what? the Redland. Higgins! The cops, look at them! Grab that gun, Pete! Oh, oh my side! I'm now, kidding. don't shoot me! Don't shoot! That's funny. No. I thought that's what you wanted. No. No, Redland, we'll save you and Pete for the electric chair. We know everything. Uh, uh, everything? Yes. Take care of that fellow on the floor, Sergeant. Then call an ambulance. Have three men go to the hospital with him. Yes, sir. Redland, suppose you come along quietly. You'll be happy, I'm sure, to meet the fake Green Hornet and his gang who'll be waiting for us at headquarters. Fake Green Hornet? Yes. We received a radio message a few minutes ago that your gang and Charlie Rogers have been arrested. That's right. It came over the police radio in the squad car that brought me here with the cops from headquarters. They found his gang and a car that was faked to look like the harness. And fake seals, too. They found everything but the real harness himself. Oh, just how did you learn all these things, Commissioner? I received the information most mysteriously. From a voice that said he was the real Green Hornet. I took the tip he gave me and... Well, he must have been smarter than you thought, Redley. Yes, yes. Where's Bruce Reed? Didn't he come here tonight? Reed? He left here more than an hour ago. It was his riding me that caused me to attempt these things tonight. He's the so-and-so who got me into this mess. Uh, did he know? That's funny. I thought Higgins said it was the Green Hornet. for today. Another exciting story brought to you by the most refreshing drink in the world. The drink that's actually good for you because it's made with real oranges. The one and only Orange Crush. It sparkles, it tingles, it makes you feel fresh again. 
Always keep several bottles in your refrigerator. And always remember, the handy way to do that is to get the handy pack. Six bottles of Orange Crush in a handy carrying case. This program is a feature of the Green Hornet Incorporated. Created by George W. Trendle. Produced by Trendle Campbell Muir Incorporated. Directed by Charles D. Livingston. And edited by Fran Stryker. The part of the Green Hornet is played by Jack McCarthy. This copyrighted feature originates in Detroit, and all characters, places, and incidents used are fictitious. The Green Hornet is brought to you every Wednesday and Friday at this same time by the most refreshing drink in the world, Orange Crush. That's the drink you like best of all. Try it. Next time, ask for Orange Crush. But remember, don't say orange, say Orange Crush. O-R-A-N-G-E-C-R-U-S-H. Orange Crush. Next Friday, listen to the Green Hornet again in the exciting story of danger entitled The Proof of Treason. And now till Friday, this is Fred Foy saying so long from Orange Crush. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Last but not least, guys, we have our strawberry and whipped cream coming up. And um, <clears throat> I'm going to put that on top of my strawberry ice cream. And so uh, for that, I have, I don't know if you remember, well, I, I sure the old-time radio people, um, if they're older than me, they might remember you bet your life being on TV. And um, Victor asked me about it the other day if I remembered it being on TV. And I told him no. But as I thought about it, um, it came to me that, yeah, I, I did remember it. Um, and at that time, because I was about three or four, I didn't care much for it because I thought it was stupid and it got in the way of something else I wanted to watch. <laughs> you know how that goes. But um, I love Groucho Marx and I I do remember my grandparents watching this show. But I love it now. And it's, it's what they what they do is um, they get Two people, and from what I've seen on most of the shows, it seems to be a man and a woman each time. And they have to guess what the secret word is. And in this case, the secret word was foot. The secret word tonight is foot. F-O-O-T. Really? Yo, bet your life. Belgium American, creators of America's most beautiful compact, smartest cigarette cases, finest dresser sets, present Groucho Marx in the Elgin American show, You'll Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here's that sterling Elgin American, the one, the only... 
Is that guy still around? Oh, that's me, Groucho Marx. <laughs> Thank you. Here I am again with $2,000 for one of our couples tonight. George Fanneman has placed a try for it. We invited some movie fan club presidents and some movie fan mail clerks to the show. And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Miss Verlee Gross from Universal Pictures, and Miss Barbara Ring, president of the Dana Andrews Fan Club. And here they are, ladies, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome for Elgin American Compact, girls. And if either of you say the secret word at any time we're talking, you each win a 16-millimeter Apollo Sound movie projector. It's a common word, something you always have with you. A studio mail clerk and a fan club president, eh? Barbara Ring, uh, what fan club are you president of? The Dana Andrews Fan Club. How many members do you have? 900 nationally. Fairly gross, huh? You're the girls in the studio yes, fan mail department, huh? So about how many letters does your studio average uh, a day? Well, I would say around 3,000. Mm-hmm. Who gets the most mail? Well, we've gone to Carlo, who's appearing crisscross here. Why, why is that? Well, I think she has a certain exotic appeal, appeal for men, and... Appeal, uh, I think, could be closer. <laughs> <laughs> So why do most people write fan letters? Well, the majority, or I would say about 90% of the mail we receive is asking for free pictures. Mm-hmm. And do you send out free pictures? Oh, yes. How much do you charge for free pictures? <laughs> <laughs> Ten cents per dollar. Ten cents. <laughs> well, that's pretty cheap for a free picture. <laughs> uh, what, what other mail do you get besides the ones asking for pictures? Oh, we get proposals for marriage to the women's stars and to some of the men's stars, too. And uh, then we get cra- letters from crackpots. Probably the best example would be the fellow who wrote in and wanted the gum that Dick Powell had chewed in a picture. <laughs> Probably a beach nut. Eh? <laughs> now, what's the oddest letter you ever got from a movie fan? Well, I think probably the woman who had seen the life of Riley, and she's asked... coming out now. Huh? Mm-hmm. And she asked for uh, she asked us for William Bendix if we would send him, and she sent ten dollars to cover the charges. And he wouldn't go. No, he, he told us to send back the ten dollars and send a big picture that he autographed to her personally. And then we had the the young chap who wrote in and uh, asked for one of our stars. Who we say unmentionable? He said that he was no. having a. Let's not say unmentionable, then. <laughs> Lingerie. Well, yes, and he said he was collecting them. It was his hobby. He had well, over was he 100. collecting them filled or empty? <laughs> now, uh, we have the perfect gift for each of you, for Burley and for Barbara. Belgian American, stunning red, compact, trimmed in bright jewelless bronze. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. Barbara, let's get back to your fan club. Why did you pick Dana Andrews? Why didn't you join the Groucho Marx fan club? <laughs> oh, I didn't know there was one. <laughs> I'm not sure there's a Groucho Marx. <laughs> As president of the Dana Andrews fan club, just what do you do? Well, the girls like to meet their president, and I just preside over the meetings and pound the gavel. And then what do you do? You just sit there and pound the gavel all the time? That doesn't sound like a meeting of woodpeckers, does it? <laughs> well, how much do you know about uh, Mr. Andrews? Well, he was the third son of a minister. 
And his hobby is boating, and he never lets his children, he has four children, he never lets his children go on the boats because he's afraid they'll fall out. He and his wife go out boating. How do you get all this information? Oh, I read all articles that are written on him. Why do you go to all this trouble? Are you, are you actually... Here's a man, a father with four children, huh? Are you trying to horn in on a territory? It's, it's my hobby. How do you think his wife feels about this, huh? She maybe knows, I don't know. He's out there with his wife in that rowboat. Does he always take his wife? No. Uh, have, you, have you ever met him personally? Oh, yes. He's been introduced to me before, so I think he remembered me. I wasn't sure, though. So I just introduced myself, yeah. and he said, oh, you're the president of my fan club. And Did you have the mallet with you? <laughs> does, does, does his wife belong to the club, too? Oh, yes. He's an honorary member. I see. No, it's very nice. <laughs> Do any of your members collect items that your hero has touched? Well, we had one girl that, uh, she went up and asked this dog named Andy if she could have a few pieces of hair out of his head. And he, he complied. She didn't want the whole head. <laughs> She would have liked to have it, but she Just couldn't. Just some locks, huh? <laughs> she could have got that at the delicatessen. <laughs> and? And she got it. She let her take some hair off of his head. And it... No, she just took hold of it and pulled it off. Well, it's such a nice way of spending the morning, huh? <laughs> There's another girl that collects uh, old cigarette butts that he's thrown away. <laughs> What does she do? Follow him around with a garbage can? Well, this doesn't seem like a very romantic relationship. That you have, huh? Collecting old cigarette butts and pulling his hair out doesn't. I wouldn't consider a very fancy romance. Well, you make a very interesting scene. Now let's see how well you can work together for two thousand dollars. In just one minute, you're going to play the Elgin American game. You bet your life. First, George Fannin is going to offer some invaluable advice. Go ahead, George. Have you looked at your compact lately? One look now can save your reputation in accessories. If that look shows you a compact that has seen its best days. Remember, your compact is the one accessory you use most, that other people see you use. And it either adds to or subtracts from the smart impression you want to make. Compacts are such important fashion accessories today that every woman needs three. One each in the correct mood for her daytime, sports, and evening clothes. Only Elgin American offers such a thrilling variety of designs, shapes, and sizes for every apparel need. And in such a wide price range that every woman can have an Elgin American compact to reflect her good taste in glowing terms. Look at your compact tonight. And tomorrow, get the compact fashion preferred. America's number one compact. An exquisite Elgin American. <laughs> Let's see if you two will get a chance at the $2,000 question. You're going to play your bet your life. Fenneman, tell them the rules. Each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much of that 20 as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the $2,000 question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage, so they won't know what goes on until it's their turn. Here we go. Let's see how high you can build your $20. What question category did you select? Comic strip characters. Comic strip characters. How much of your $20 will you bet on the first one? Ten. Okay. Mac and Mr. Simpkins are characters in what comic strip? Tilly the Toiler. Tilly the Toiler is correct. Well, we're off to a great start. They have $30. Remember, you're going for $2,000 tonight. How much of the 30 are you going to bet this time? 20 All right. In what strip do you find the little Indian lonesome polecat? 
Little Abner. Little Abner is correct. We now have fifty dollars. Here's your third question. How much of the fifty are you going to go for? Forty. 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 Let me get along fine. And what comic strip is Hot Shot Charlie? Hot Shot Charlie. Take a stab. Any answers better than none? No. I'm sorry. It's Terry and the Pirates. They oh, now have ten dollars. Here's your last chance to beat the other couple. How much of the ten are you going to bet? Ten. Ten. All right. Alexander and Cookie are children. And what comic strip? Blondie is correct. And they wind up with twenty dollars. and good luck from Elgin American Compact. Don't go away now. You're still in the running for the big question. And perhaps the next couple will say the secret word, Groucho. It's foot. F-O-O-T. They've been in a waiting room off stage. Okay, boys, bring them in. Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected an airline hostess and a traveling salesman. And here they are, Miss Mary Bullock and Mr. Joe Bud Mead, Groucho Mark. Welcome for Elgin American Compact, folks. If you know about the secret word, here's a clue. It's a common word, something you have always with you. You might say it at any time we're talking. An airline hostess and a traveling salesman, eh? Miss Bullock, uh, what's your line? CWA. And salesman Joe Budd? Yes, sir. Where are you from, Mr. Budd? Georgia. What do you sell, Mr. Budd? Ophthalmological instruments and supplies. Mm-hmm. Would you mind clarifying that? Uh... <laughs> Ophthalmological instruments are instruments which are used in refracting or examining the eyes and determining the proper vision and vision of the patient. I don't let's overdo it. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Mr. Bud, uh, are you married? Yes, sir. How'd you meet your wife? Was she a farmer's daughter? No, she wasn't a farmer's daughter, but, a, but her father was. Her father, father was a farmer? <laughs> and her father That's quite a trick if you can do it, huh? Your father-in-law married a farmer's daughter. Huh? Your father-in-law married a farmer's daughter. Yes. Well, now you've got me confused, huh? <laughs> Uh, stewardess uh, Mary Bullock, huh? That's correct. Uh, are you related to the uh, department store downtown? I haven't been able to trace it yet. Well, <laughs> we'll try it. I'll load it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, an attractive girl like you, why, why aren't you married? Do your male passengers consider you too flighty? <laughs> <laughs> well, would you like to get married someday and settle down to us? Yes, I do. And I'm afraid I'm getting a little bit choosy now. I find one person with nice quality I like and another with nice quality, but I can't find them all in the same man. Well, you'll find out after you're married to one of them that none of them have all those qualities. <laughs> Could I make a reservation with you for tomorrow night? Sorry, I have a clock. You can leave your plane at home, you know. <laughs> You fly tomorrow night? With a fly-by-night outfit, huh? <laughs> you load? Do you load the passengers on your ship? Yes, I do. Uh, do they ever come unloaded without you? <laughs> yes, they do. We unload them. Do any of the passengers ever try to uh, make a, a date with you? Yes, they do. They uh, do. What do you do? Sure. Go fly a kite, you tell them? <laughs> I don't think they trust me when I get on a plane. The first thing the hostess does is always trap me in the seat. <laughs> now, before we pry into any more secrets, I have a handsome cigarette case for our traveling salesman. And for our airline hostess, a smart, round, compact, both in two tones of jeweler's bronze. And here they are by Elgin American. 
Oh, it's lovely. I have an outfit that'll match exactly. I think any outfit you wear would match. <laughs> With that compact, you'll always be able to powder your nose at 20,000 feet, Mr. Lyons. That is, if you can reach your nose at 20,000 feet. <laughs> I'll try and let you know. <laughs> Miss Bullock, uh, what qualifications do you need in order to become an airline hostess? Well, the age is uh, from 21 to 27 years of age, and uh, height from 5 foot 2 to 5 7. Miss Bullock, you said it. You said foot, and that's the secret word, so you each win an Apollo 16 millimeter sound movie projector. And not only that, but you can also walk out of here tonight with over $2,000. Now, let's settle down to business. <laughs> now, Mr. Budd, as a traveling salesman, do you, do you ever fly? Oh, all the time. You fly all the time? Yes, yes, sir. Could you fly around the studio? Do <laughs> 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 you have a pretty good stock of jokes to keep your customers in a good mood? Well, we need to carry a few around. Could you give us a sample, Weez, just so we can get an idea? <laughs> I mean, let's be well, walking in the, the store now. Well, have you heard this one? Uh, did well, you, you don't start off. You don't just open the door and say, have you heard this? <laughs> <laughs> Quite right. Stop the evening to you, Dr. Marks. Have you heard the one about the uh, mate who rushed up to the captain of the ship? Yeah, the captain, captain, the crew is revolting. Captain said, my, my, they certainly are. Well, I guess business is lousy all over. Now, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gabby, uh, uh, let's see how good it is. <laughs> Let's see how good a salesman you are. Pretend I'm a customer and you're selling bath stuff. Now, uh, you knock on my door and start selling me a bath stuff. I'm the housewife. I'll knock on the door first. Okay, knock on the door. Be sure you do, because I may be dressed. And the door open? The door open, Jeff. Open Sesame, eh? Good morning, We had a small dog named Sesame that opened the door. Okay, I'm now standing arms akimbo. Good morning, Mrs. Mandangle. I would like to interest you in... What is my name? <laughs> <laughs> in hypothetical case, uh, Mrs. Fandangle. Mrs. Fandangle, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm an improvement over the one I've got. Now, take a moment of your time to interest you in you the world's latest made, development yeah. in the way of a bath tub. I see. Do you, you have, have it with you? I have one out in the car. I can very quickly bring it in and install it and give you the, the, the full advantage of it. Or rather, tell you about it. I'm not giving it to you. Can you solicit a few of these while this is the fur-lined bath tub for fur bath Which also has a new patented feature. You, you're acquainted with the... Uh, pleasure that you get in a bubble bath, and you have the bubbles all flowing up and above, and occasionally they overflow and go over the side onto the floor. Right. However, we have a, a new patented feature. It's an air intake valve that surrounds the upper edge of the tub, so that as the bubbles come up right as they go right into that line of the plane. And this tub, by the way... Well, I'll, I'll take a half a dozen of those and a cheesecake. <laughs> You're a pretty good salesman. I'll take two of those tubs because I may want to take more than one bath. 
And that, that fur line uh, tub really intrigues me. I may have the Dana Andrews Club come up and pluck the hair out of that. <laughs> <laughs> and now then, you're going to play, you bet your life, the Elgin American game. If you run your $20 into more than our other couples, you get a chance at the $2,000 question later. Fenneman, remind our listeners how much the first couple won. The fan club president and her partner won $20. Here we go. Let's see how high you can build your $20. What question category did you select? Famous horse racing tracks. Famous horse racing tracks. All right, here's your first question. And how much are you going to bet? $10. Ten dollars All right, and what state do you find Belmont Park? Belmont Park? Belmont, that's what I said. <laughs> New York. New York is correct. They're also a good start. They have $30. You now shot up to $30. How much of this swag are you going to bet on this one? Twenty-five. She's a high flyer. In, in what state? In what state is Hialeah? Huh? Miami. Miami, Florida. They now have fifty-five dollars. You have zoomed up to fifty-five smackers, and here's your third question: How much of this fifty-five you're going to risk? Fifty-five to play with. Sure. You're going to bet fifty bucks. In what state is Arlington Park? Arlington Park, Illinois. Illinois is correct. $105. All right, you're coming around the rail now. Is your last chance to beat the other couples. All right. Bananas on the rail. How much are you going to bet on this one? You've got $105. How much are you going to let go? Shall we bet the C-note? <laughs> $100? A C-note, I presume you mean 100 smackers, huh? In what state is Monmouth Park? Monmouth Park? New Jersey. New Jersey is Good luck from Elgin American Compact. Now, in just one minute, our last couple will play you bet your life, and then we know who gets the crack at the $2,000 question. Fenneman, what's on your mind? Every man and woman will agree that it's much smarter to carry matching accessories. And every man and woman can have that smartness with Elgin American cigarette case and lighter set. They contribute handsomely to a man's well-dressed feeling. They lend glamour to a woman's smoking. Every lighter is precision-made. And for women... Many an Elgin American compact can be matched to its own cigarette case, lighter, or to both. See how pleasantly all these sets are priced. How proud you'll look and feel with a stunning cigarette case and lighter to match by Elgin American. Well, the soon knows going to earn the most money tonight and get the chance at the $2,000 question. George, who's leading so far? Well, the traveling salesmen and the airline hostess are leading with $205. And here's our final couple, Groucho. They've been in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know the secret word is foot. F-O-O-T. Okay, boys, bring them in. Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Miss Dorothy Bates, the manicurist, and Mr. Mac Wise, a blacksmith. And here they come, folks. Meet Groucho Marx. Welcome to the Elgin American program. And if either of you say the secret word at any time we're talking, you each win a 16-millimeter Apollo sound movie projector. It's a common word, something you will always have with you. A blacksmith and a manicurist, see? Eh? Where'd you do your manicuring, uh, Dorothy? Deadly Woods Hotel. Are you, are you married? Uh... Yes, I am. Yeah. Don't be so defiant about it. <laughs> How did you meet your husband, Dorothy? I met my husband at the Great Blade Roll Center in New York City. He was skating? Uh-huh. And you were skating? Mm-hmm. And do uh, you remember what music was playing at the time? No, I don't. And you'll never get a chance to say, they're playing our song. <laughs> 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 
Blacksmith, Mac Wise, is your name? Weiss? Weiss? Uh, Weiss. Where are you from, uh, Mr. Weiss? Oklahoma, somewhere. Forget the Oklahoma. Forget the Oklahoma. Are there many blacksmiths around these days? Well, automobiles kind of got them on the run, but there's two classes of blacksmiths. I wanted to work in iron, but I'm a horseshoe. You're a horseshoe. You shoe horses, huh? Yes, you ever shoe flies? Uh, <laughs> well, I let the horse do that. You let the horse shoe the flies. Now, well, that's a likely tale, huh? <laughs> Now, where's your shop, Mac? Is it under the spreading chestnut tree? No, the modern blacksmith got it on a mobile truck, and we just go around. Mobile truck? You said you were from Oklahoma. That's right. <laughs> Oklahoma mobile. Oh. Well, how do you shoe a horse, Mac? Well, the first thing I do is bend over. Yeah. Put the... Is that safe? Huh? <laughs> you, you make quite a target in that position, Mac. <laughs> Have any of your clients ever kicked about the way you, uh, fix them? It's pretty hard, too. Suppose a horse doesn't want to have new shoes. How do you sell them on the idea, huh? Well, that's where the blacksmith has to be a little lover, too. The first you, thing you talk to him? You just walk up and pet him and say, no, whoa, honey, just stand up here. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Easy, baby. <laughs> well, since we've got a manicure here, I better show my hand. For our blacksmith, we have Elgin American Silver Finish Cigarette Case. And for Miss Dorothy, the Silver Finish Compact by Ocean American. Here you are, Dorothy. Thank you very much. Beautiful. Now, Dorothy, what is the average size step a man leaves after he's held hands for a half an hour? Seventy-five cents. Seventy-five? Mm-hmm. Gee, I only give a dime. <laughs> <laughs> well, who gives the largest steps, uh, old men or young men? Usually old men. Why is that, sir? Well, they usually have more money to spend than the younger folks. You feel this is probably their last contact with life. <laughs> Do you have any uh, any special methods that you use to wangle a big tip out of a customer? Well, you can do Mr. Chesley. Call him whole baby and whole baby. <laughs> <laughs> you say stand still, honey. You give him a nice massage and... Uh... You give him a massage, too, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no wonder they get 75 cents. <laughs> Where did you say you were located, Arnie? <laughs> <laughs> Send my hands over in the morning. Huh? <laughs> you ever get tired, Dorothy, sitting there all day holding a man's hand and looking him in the face? No, I don't. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, Max, do you ever get tired uh, looking? Oh, never mind. Well, you make, a, you make a very interesting couple, although I'm not exactly sure which one of you I should go to for a manicure. <laughs> now, let's see how you can work together for $2,000. You're the last couple to play the Elgin American game. You beat the other two couples, and you get the $2,000 question. I can't tell you how much they won, but George is off stage, so you might not have listened. The traveling salesman and the airline hostess are high with $205. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. What question category did you select? Song oh, that ask that ask questions. Now here's your first question. You got twenty dollars. How much are you going to bet at this point? And $10. Give me the title of the song. Okay, Stan. How are things in Guatemala? Things in Guatemala. <laughs> and things are off to a great start. They have thirty dollars. <laughs> Remember, you're going for two thousand dollars tonight. Now, how much of your thirty dollars you going to bet on this one? Twenty. All right, here it is. <laughs> 
see a dream walking? Did you ever see a dream walking is right? They're on their way. They have $50. Here's your first question. You got $50. How much you gonna bet? Twenty. Twenty? All right. What's the name of this song? Play stand. Now deep in the ocean. Deep in the ocean. They now have seventy dollars. Now you've got seventy dollars. Here's your last chance to beat the other couple. How much of the seventy are you going to bet? Fifty. You're going to bet fifty. All right. What is that? All right, Max. What is the name of this song? Think all love. And they wind up with $120. And that means the traveling salesman and the airline hostess are the winning couple and get a chance to win $2,000. Years of the finest designing, engraving, finishing, and craftsmanship have put Elgin American Compact cigarette cases and lighters in a class by themselves. Beautiful and durable to use yourself Memorable as gifts for any occasion. See these exquisite accessories in rich colors, silver finish, jeweler's bronze, and sterling silver at any leading jewelry store, department store, or specialty shop. And you can put your cigarette case, lighter, and compact confidence in Elgin American. And here's the winning couple, the traveling salesman and the airline hostess. Well, back again to try for $2,000 of Elgin American's money. Good luck. I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you and talk it over thoroughly. And no help in the audience, please. Here it is for $2,000 in cash. The United States was a young, struggling country in 1778, and European nations refused to recognize it. What was the first European country to officially recognize the United States? What is the answer you two have decided upon? Friends. Friends? $2,000 from Elgin American Compact. You said you cleaned up tonight. Not only did you win the $2,000, but you each won a 16-millimeter sound movie projector. But $205, you earned a total of uh, $2,205. Congratulations and thanks to both of you. Elgin American Show, You Bet Your Life, is a John Goodell production. Transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Bob Blonde. Editor, Bernie Smith. Music by Stanley Meyer. Remember, next week's big question pays $1,000. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for You Bet Your Life. Starring Groucho Marx. Presented by the creators of America's most beautiful compact, smartest cigarette cases, and finest dresses that Elgin American. Tonight, folks, have you looked at your compact lately? Okie dokie, guys. That's going to be it for this time around. And, um... I hope to see you next week. I think what I'm doing for next week is going to be... 
Um, I did some drama shows lat not a couple of weeks ago, so it's a couple of shows ago or what have you. And um I used theaters and um But a couple of weeks ago, I did, uh, or a couple of shows ago, I did uh, uh, shows with theater in the title. And um, some sometimes I'll make it something in the title or the episode. But uh, that time uh, it was it was just the word theater in the title and. Uh, so this time I thought what I would do is I've got several shows that have Playhouse. So I thought I would do one with Playhouse um, in the title. And I uh, th- thought that might be fun for you. But I look forward to being back with you again. And uh, I hope I do a better job. Because <laughs> I... I I, I hate to be unprofessional. I used to work out in the public, so. <laughs> but I look forward to to recording for you again and doing the show for you again. Y'all have a good week.